here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. Welcome, everyone. I'm Angelina Carlton, hostess of the Design Your Legacy podcast, where I look to distill the best practices, positive examples in action, and the best ideas to inspire you. As today's affluent are two-thirds self-made, I hope to invite a variety of guests from many walks of life and income levels to bring you their insights and experiences. These guests range from family office professionals Hollywood directors to those in Generation Z, as they each contribute their thought leadership to the subject of legacy. I hope to provide interesting guests who challenge your beliefs with their strong bias towards optimism and how you too can value your life, time, and personal legacy. This morning, I have the pleasure of inviting Andrea Hansen again back to our podcast series to talk about women and legacy in what I call a primal conversation. So, um, to begin, um, is there anything that you've learned in the last 10 years that stands out in, in terms of why this topic is important? Yeah, de- definitely. You know, women in legacy is, is a tough one because women are, you know, so often you hear that the women's children are their legacy and that, you know, that it's a beautiful sentiment. And at the same time, it's very limiting and it's placing a woman's legacy on someone outside of herself as you know as her being a carrier or a vessel for essentially somebody else's legacy mm. instead of her in and of itself as a human being able to have her own legacy especially if she doesn't have children for whatever reason very good yeah i think it's interesting that uh you know one of the things uh, we talked about uh, last week or, or the week prior was about you know even women historically <laughs> Do you want to dive deep into, uh, you know, they've been burned at the stake sometimes for having ideas or believing in themselves? Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a huge block when it comes to getting ourselves out there. We think, you know, oh, well, you know, even if a little girl has been, you know, encouraged to be herself and to go out there and to make success, we still have in our biology, in our systems, not so long ago, women were you know, hunted down as witches and burned at the stake. And in some ways that still happens in some cultures, maybe not necessarily burning at the stake. Um, but even, even in what we consider more forward thinking cultures, we really rail on women who go out there and try to create a legacy. So it's built into our systems in so many different ways to step out of the limelight, to not really go out there and be ourselves. Yeah. One of the things I've also mentioned to you is the number of women that find the topic of creating their legacy fascinating, but they're afraid to like jump into the ocean or jump into the swimming pool. And so I find it, um, 
just very interesting that they will support others, like you had said. Maybe they'll support their children's legacy or their their husband's legacy. And yet when it comes to their own, it's like what you had said, they shy away from that limelight compared to like claiming or owning their space. Yeah, they're, you know, if we if we think about how the body is really set up for our survival, and then we take into consideration everything that's happened to women throughout history for stepping out of the box for going and creating something for themselves, for speaking their mind, for having thoughts. And it makes a lot of sense that it's really scary for women. It's not just about women being meek or timid or you know anything like that. It's really just part of our nervous systems. Interesting. Are there any other examples throughout history that um, stand out to you that, you know, whether it's other cultures or uh, other centuries that might be plaguing the epigenetics or the, what I call the DNA memory of women? Yeah, really, when you think about a good amount of history, particularly the patriarchal history that comes along with um, a lot of the, like, Christianity um, and even, you know, other religions that are very male dominant, the way that that's spread through our our culture has really created a, a male dominance where women haven't been invited to be part of major decisions and to have their opinions heard or to even get an education at all. You know, it's really deeply ingrained that women are here to nurture, to support, to reproduce and in almost an animalistic way, as opposed to being their own humans. Or having look at, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, please, please go ahead. (laughs) If we look at, you know, there are other cultures where, you know, in the Native American cultures, women are more at the forefront and do make more decisions. So it's not every culture. It's not just how it is or how it should be. It's very much specific culture to have done this to women. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm aware the Native American cultures uh, matriarchal and I think the men chase the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the women yeah. in some of the tribes decide when they go to war, because the idea is if women bring life into this world, they can decide when it should be you know, risk as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, fascinating. So I'm going to make a statement and I'd like you to respond to it. It's the birthright of women to create and have their own legacy. I 100% agree. I, I think that, you know, all of this very patriarchal society, it hasn't been around since the dawn of time. It's not biological. It's not part of human essence. It's a culture that we have we've gone into for several hundred years and in some cultures, a couple thousand years, but it's not, it's not reality. It is 100% women's birthright to have and create a legacy. Yeah. I like one of the things you said before about um, if there is the perspective that a woman's legacy is merely physical, then it counts out her intellectual contributions, which you just mentioned about um, the, the native American women deciding when the tribe would go to war. Yeah. yeah. I can't even imagine if that happened at the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, you know, we place so much emphasis on women being irrational and emotional and anything that is feminine is discounted. And what we end up seeing in our culture, what I've been seeing is that in order for a woman to be taken seriously, she needs to act more and more and more like a man, yeah. which is discounting the the feminine perspective and the power of the intellect of the feminine. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I realize that uh, this conversation is going to be useful, not just for women who watch it, but any um, obviously man that might have a sister, a daughter, um, a female relative, an employee, an associate, a partner, and so forth, in understanding her perspective and also making the space to ask her questions where she is invited to become a part of quality conversations other than just the role of nurturing and, and being in that support role, which is important at, at, at times, but I think it's also important to change roles. Yeah, and, and to just collaborate in general. There's not, there's not a better gender or a better sex. And of course, we have to take into consideration that not everybody even identifies as male or female or, or falls under the category of having been born a cisgender female and continuing female throughout life. There are so many varieties of what it means to be a gendered or non-gendered human. So taking that all into consideration too, I think it helps um, in some ways to level the playing field even more and to help us really acknowledge that we need to collaborate and look at all different perspectives and lift everybody up for the best outcomes for everyone. Yeah. So I'm going to talk in a moment about survival and how we're wired for it compared to happiness, but I'd like to read something. And this came from a Forbes article. Um, Biology primes the female mind towards an inherent negativity bias that is Velcro for negative events. Little girls end up experiencing failure and rejection with greater intensity and ruminating about it for longer periods of time, thus strengthening the circuits of shame and incompetence. What do you think about this? And I will obviously put the link to this Forbes article uh, from Forbes Women in the show notes. I think it's an interesting perspective. And I, you know, I think a lot of times when we look at young brains, we also, uh, we look at it often as biology, when in reality, it's often also early, early nurture in the, that we then see later on. So the majority of our um, our limbic system, our map of the world, what we find important emotionally and unimportant emotionally is developed before the age of six. So if we're looking at small children, at, at small girls and seeing that they're looking at negativity more and ruminating more, it's also important to question what has their environment been like prior to the age of six? And that's not just their parents or caregivers, that's also the TV shows that they've been watching, the YouTube channels that they've been watching their you know, primary teachers, everything that they've been exposed to before the age of six plays into that. Yeah, that's huge. I, I know that you've made a point in our conversations uh, previous to this podcast about the nurture versus nature and how um, we don't even realize the subtle um, messages in the environment that are given to, um, you know, especially uh, little girls. I mean, obviously little boys is also given that like, you know, these days, um, sometimes the lines are a bit blurred, but I, I just find it interesting of how much we are, are even unconscious, you know, in between, hold on a second, I think I have to sneeze, uh, the media messages, maybe the sneeze is there, I'm not sure, um, the media messages, but also the social, uh, you know, quid pro quos of what's allowed, and, and we're going to get into that in a moment, um, as well as the uh, um, imposter syndrome, but um, yeah, so that I think that's interesting. It almost tells me that maybe girls are very sensitive, and it's and and if it's not getting acknowledged, you know, the circuits of shame and incompetence, then they're just allowed to sit in that, and no one comes along to, you know, ask, hey, you know, why why are you upset? And yeah, yeah, and there there's there's a phenomenon called the null education environment, where it doesn't 
require girls to be told that they cannot do things, but the absence of being encouraged to do things also creates that that deficit and that salience network tendency towards, you know, worrying about if they're doing things right, if they're doing things okay. And then, you know, even if we look at the the toys that we give little boys versus little girls, if we're giving little girls Barbies and dolls, that's already telling them that you're here to nurture, you're here to socialize, you're here to be nice, right? To look you, good. To look good. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas little boys, you know, you're here to think, to do things, to create things. Yeah. That's Here's your Tonka different. truck. Yep. Yeah. 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 Or even the Legos example you had mentioned. Yeah, 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 the Legos. You know, you're you're here to solve problems. You're here to use your brain. Um, and it's just a very different message, even though we're not saying anything out loud. So you yeah. stack that on top of the survival circuits that are already going to be ingrained in women because of our biological history. Then that's that's quite the stack against a little girl already. You know, in her first couple years of life. Yeah, I, uh, I'd like to think that uh, people would become more conscious because it's, um, you know, the toys we buy, the books we buy, the television shows that uh, and so forth. But then we get older and it's if Sally or Mary acts different or has more, we're going to hate on her. Not, not all women, but we're going to get to that in a moment. Um, let me read um, another um, quote from this Forbes article. So from very young ages, girls are burdened with external demands, some familiar and others societal that chain them to an ought self and limit their full potential. And I think what this is referring to regarding the ought self is how she ought to be. And she better stay in her place. What say you? Yeah. And, and this applies to boys and girls in different ways that, you know, boys are supposed to be less emotional. They're supposed to be more competitive. They're not supposed to be upset when they get hurt. Girls, on the other hand, are supposed to typically not get hurt in the first place, not get their little outfit messy, not, um, you know, not not really put herself out there, not really be loud. They're also more expected to help with, um, you know, if there's younger children in the home, they're supposed to help babysit. They're supposed to help make dinner more often, clean the house more often, while their male counterparts, their male siblings are more likely to be out and about, roughing around, playing, you know, pursuing their passions. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I love to ask the question to women of what would you like your legacy to be? Because even that question, again, implies that their life could have a legacy and that somebody wants their life to have a legacy, not just what you referred to before as almost being invisible by not asking the questions or not encouraging women. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's powerful for women to even have the opportunity to think about those things. So what else are women up against regarding the problem? And I want to just focus on the problem, at the, you know, in the first half of this conversation, because I just want to name it because there's power in acknowledging, you know, what is in our landscape. Yeah, the, I mean, there's, there's so many societal expectations and interfamily expectations of what her life is going to look like. And even when you when you're um, in your teen years, uh, particularly in the religious communities, there's a lot of talks about, you know, what are you looking for in a husband? What are you going to do to support your husband? Uh, how are you preparing yourself to be good enough for the right husband? It's it's very much about the husband. Yeah. And then you have the societal expectations, you know, when you, when you reach a certain age, you know, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? These are the questions we typically ask women or, 
you know, how did you, how did you lose so much weight or how did you, you know, it's so much about body size and appeal for men and what they're doing to be admired by men. Yeah. Yeah. I remembered in college, it was, uh, there was an expression and the the expression went ring before spring or you get your money back, which meant that women were, went to college in order to get the ring on the finger, not for the diploma. Yeah. 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 So much is about husband seeking and being, being valued by men, being, uh, you know, a child bearer, taking care of the kids. And there's, there's this really interesting dynamic where, um, you know, early on in my career during graduate school and for the first couple of years of my career, I was a single mom. And it was a really interesting dynamic because on the one hand, there were people who were, you know, quite upset that I was pursuing a career and not at home with my kids. Ooh, hashtag guilt. Especially, you know, being a single mom, they're like, oh, well, you know, who's taking care of your kids? If you're not taking care of your kids, well, at the same time, you know, you should find a husband to help you take care of your kids. But you also shouldn't really be dating as a single mom because that's a little promiscuous. So there's all of these rules that we put around women. And it, it's almost this impossible uh, maze to try to navigate that, that can be really overwhelming when you're stuck in it. Absolutely. There's that silent, what I call um, quiet expectation that she has to be perfect. And then even if she's perfect, then she still is hated. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because she didn't do this thing right. <laughs> there's a swipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Or she is too perfect. So she must be fake or she must, there must be something wrong with her or, you know, and then there's that, you know, there's scarcity within the females where, you know, if we're competing for the, the man or competing for the, the job, the, yeah. the position, and there's such few, you know, female representation, there's a lot of inter-female hate. Yeah. Or even just competing in power dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because um, one of the things we've also talked about is if somebody makes a decision from the place of fear or significance compared to connection and love, that's the difference of like, well, somebody, you know, stole that from me compared to, oh, well, maybe that person's honoring and they should, uh, they could see it as flattery, but it depends on, yeah, what part of the brain. And, and like you've also mentioned, and maybe we'll touch upon this at the end, d- being able to develop those higher portions of our brain. Yeah. Yeah. Compared yeah, to that definitely. survival trap. Okay. Um, all right. And, and I just want to add real quick that this is one of the reasons why I admire um, Taylor Swift. Yeah. I don't know much about her. I'd, I've never um, even bought one of her albums, but I have witnessed in the media, the uh, repetitive attacks. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's other celebrities, ex-boyfriends of hers, um, the the thing that she had with, I think, Apple Music and the copyright and licensing, and and yet she just kept standing back up again as the attacks came. I thought, whew, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. It really, any female uh, that, that continues to put herself out there, and so many women get attacked for all kinds of reasons for just putting themselves out there and being themselves, and Taylor Swift has definitely gotten a lot of those attacks. And I mean, at the end of the day, she's human and she's not perfect. And yet we, you know, some of us want her to be perfect. Some of us want her to fail. And you see this, uh, I see it often with you know, people who, you know, somebody's not a good enough advocate or a good enough ally or a good enough feminist. And so we tear them down as opposed to seeing, you know, that they, that they are trying, that they are growing and encouraging them. 
And yeah. they're, you know, it's back to that scarcity of there can, with our current culture, the way that it is, it seems there can only be a certain amount of women on top. So it's kind of this clawing for, you know, if we can bring this one down, then it makes space for other women, as opposed to there being able to be as many women as, as wanted on top, or however many women want to be on top and are qualified to be on top can be up there. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to think we're more than uh, bumblebees in a beehive, (laughs) right? With only one queen bee. Okay. Yeah. No no disrespect to bees. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and that was not a Beyonce dig. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So even, and this is another quote in uh, the last one from this Forbes article. So even if they, women, they do manage to put in Herculean efforts and prove their worth, they're required to be modest and downplay their achievements. Young women who boast their qualifications are seen as braggers and are disliked. Young men who do so are given bonus points for confidence. No wonder so many women suffer from the imposter syndrome, unaware and unaccepting of their inherent abilities. So what are your thoughts about, you know, how we play into this and we don't even realize? Yeah, this also starts at such a young age. You see little girls who are you know, outspoken and they're leaders and they're, they're told to stop being bossy. Bossy. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. She's bossy. Yes. She's bossy. Exactly. Or, or you see, you know, little girls with good, basically sales tactic skills and they're, you know, they're manipulative. Right. So what we take these character traits that on a boy, we might attribute it to something that they might be good at in the future. And we look at them as character defects in a girl and we discourage them from a very young age. And then as women, it's the same situation where you go out and you say that you're very skilled and you see this on social media all the time where highly accomplished women, highly educated women will say something and then the men just come in throngs to attack and to say like, oh, well, you don't really know this. I know more than you. And you know, these women, you know, even if they're rocket scientists saying something about rocket science, there's this throng of people who will discredit them and, and try to tear them down. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, quite unfortunate because um, how is a woman supposed to be able to, uh, you know, claim her space and own her talents and skills and gifts if she can't, you know, claim them even on social media without that idea of, oh, you know, she's bragging compared to, you know, a good on her that she's uh doing what she's doing and creating that and leading the charge as a pioneer. Yeah. Yeah. I think that really comes down to us supporting women as a culture and as other women and not participating in that and helping build other women up, not seeing them as competition. And that comes back to, you know, the, the survival regions and the scarcity and really seeing it as, you know, if we lift each other up, we lift everybody up. Yeah. And if we attribute these social media attacks or, or whatever they are to ourselves being wrong or bad or stupid, then that takes us back into the survival regions of the brain and, and make us question ourselves. Whereas if we attribute them to it's the environment, this person is saying something and it doesn't mean anything actually about me, then it's easier to move forward. And it's easier because of the way that we're raised for men to do that than for women. Yeah. And I hope that um, this conversation can create some curiosity and inspiration in the listeners to think about other ways of, you know, how we respond to women that again, it's not scarcely that if she has an opinion, you know, he is going to lose his 
credibility. Or if she has an opinion, other women can't. Maybe we all sit at the table and have opinions. The other thing I have to wonder about is if let's say women have been in some type of cycle of, I don't want to call it violence because violence can simply be verbal abuse and criticism. Then she acts it out on other women without undoing like that ball of yarn to go, okay, this is where the wound comes from. And I'm going to end and break this pattern right here. Yeah. And, and men as well, who have been in cycles of violence, you know, when they're, when they're young or even as adults who suppress that and don't, don't unpack it and then act it out on others and use that sense of powerlessness to assert power and dominance on others, as opposed to taking that sense of empowerment and shifting it to a space of empowerment and then empowering others as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a tweetable moment right there. Yeah, because um, if they're acting like the victim and yet they're victimizing others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just creates this giant cycle and, and it tears everyone down and keeps everyone from being their best selves. And then in turn keeps our society at large or global society from being at its best. Yeah, because it creates confusion through that manipulation and the person may not even realize that they're doing it because they've never unpacked their stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I've noticed a lot working with both men and women is that part of, you know, in the way that we're raised, men are more likely to see their emotions as logical facts, whereas women are more likely to see them and label them as emotions and as often personal deficits. So when men experience emotions, they don't necessarily think I'm having an emotion. They think this is a logical fact that I should then, you know, say to others and enforce on others because it is a logical fact. Yeah. Fascinating. The other thing I I just want to add to this is I find it interesting that in society and not all men do this, but you know, they'll say the feminine qualities are weak. Like, let me give you an example, like not just the fact when they're like, um, Okay. (laughs) I realize there are people that are under age 18 that listen to this YouTube channel. Let's say they compare certain female body parts with characters, uh, characterizations. Like, so in other words, don't be a fill in the blank. Yeah. And if you ask them if they love their mothers and the women in their life, of course they do. That's their answer. But then it's like, okay, then why the disconnect with what you just said? And I don't even think that they're conscious of the language and the vocabulary or the interpretation of that, you know, that when it comes out of their, their mouth and they, they speak it into reality, into it, into existence, obviously having a ripple effect, not just on uh, themselves in reaffirming their beliefs, but then also how it, it influences others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's um, I used to work at a, a treatment center with teenage boys. And that was a group that we had relatively often just listing on the whiteboard all of the words that we use to put somebody down that are female yeah, apparently, or female body parts. And it is so many. And then we list out, you know, all the things that we say that are more related to men. And typically those are the things that, you know, indicate that you're strong or indicate that you're bold in one way or another. So it's ingrained in so many different aspects of our culture, of our language. Yeah. I know that they've said that if we want to become a better public speaker, speaker, we're supposed to carry around a tape recorder, but it would still be interesting to carry around a tape recorder and to hear what you just brought up, the words that we use. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. we, we might be shocked, like even uh, the thing that slips out when someone cuts off our car. <laughs> 
that woman yeah. fill in the blank. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> would you speak on the causes? And I just want to circle back to the imposter syndrome. Because I've heard very successful women refer to this. It's almost like a stage or a phase that they can go through. And then they have to reconcile it if they're going to keep going. Or it's like they're just um, getting tormented internally. Yeah. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is really, really widespread. And it's something that I've struggled with quite a bit in my career, too, despite being very good at what I do, highly educated, highly experienced. There's often still this gnawing, you know, sometimes like, oh man, what if you're just a total fake? <laughs> like, which is ridiculous in reality, logically. And I think a lot of women know that, that it, it's really just silly to, in reality, to think that. Um, but when we are constantly discredited or interrupted in meetings or other people taking our ideas and, and when they say it, it's a genius idea, but when the woman says it, it's completely written off, you know, all of those tiny micro aggressions, uh, microaggressions, micro situations that happen throughout life, they become part of us. Our environment is constantly shaping our brain and shaping our, um, you know, what we, how we view the world and how we view ourselves. So it, it attributes to women feeling that imposter syndrome, despite being you know, wonderful at what they do brilliant, intelligent, all those things. And then they find themselves getting gaslighted. Yeah. Um, And so um, you would say the causes are environment, culture. Is there anything else? And I just am exhausting this area because again, there's um, a number of young ladies that are thinking about creating their legacies and developing them. And this is, you know, to speak to them as they, you know, come up in this world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, fear too. Imposter syndrome is a way of our our brains protecting us from going out there and from really doing what we are capable of doing. So if we are able to, you know, if we think like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't because maybe I'm really not that good, then we're going to back away from it. Okay. So it's a protective mechanism that really is just fear based. That has that's not based in reality or truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me circle back for a moment about how humans are wired or set up for survival, not happiness. I found this to be a huge aha moment. Yeah. How, how might we begin to reconcile this, especially when women are placed into situations where um, the survival might be on their shoulders, you know, whether it's a family business or, you know, someone in a second or third world country. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the amygdala, which is a major player in the survival region of the brain, the limbic system, has two sides to it. And one of the sides is, you know, all about fear, sadness, you know, catching up on, you know, is this going to keep us alive or not? <laughs> the other side is about fear, sadness, and happiness. So both sides of the amygdala are fear-based. And then one side also has some happiness in there. So the brain, you know, just to you know, back up that it's, it is survival oriented, not happiness oriented. And survival does connect to our sense of happiness. So when we do things that are good for our survival, like eating and shelter and, and all of that stuff, we do re- release dopamine. Okay. Most people know is a happy chemical. So self-care so, is important. Go ahead. It is. It is important. Um, However, we can easily hijack our survival centers and, and attribute too many things to our survival that, that aren't actually attributed to our survival. And it's one of those 
side effects of just, you know, lasting so long as a species and having all of those experiences of things that could risk our survival. So if we, if we get trapped in our survival center, which happens with, you know, trauma throughout life and our salience network just picking up on potential threats of, of survival, whether or not it's logical, then we are more survival based. On the other hand, on the other hand, when we, um, <laughs> when we are engaged with our sense of meaning and purpose, when we are actively doing things that are in alignment with our sense of meaning and purpose, we release serotonin, which helps put us more in our frontal regions of our brain away from our survival region. And we're more able to navigate life from that space of hope and um, altruism than from survival. Okay. So to all the women out there, um, creating your legacy is, I think you had framed it, uh, it's, it's not just uh, the lineage as it connects to survival, but it's the idea of us. And I thought that was both brilliant as well as sentimental. So it's, again, not having that female become invisible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The survival of, of us, of our legacy, right? We, when we look back at the history of the world, we only really ever hear of a couple women and their legacies. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was the mother behind Alexander the Great. Go ahead. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And particularly when it, when it comes to something aside from their children or from their husband. Right. But, you know, in general, we just very rarely hear of women and that's a way that people survive beyond, you know, passing from this existence is through their legacy. So it is a form of survival to be able to pass on a legacy legacies and you know that sense of meaning and purpose are really intertwined typically we want our legacy to be something that we're very passionate about so that you know having that sense of this is what I want my legacy to be because this is what I'm passionate about and then actively working towards that helps to push through those fears get out of that survival mode and be more happy yeah that's wonderful and um I think like one of the things you mentioned before is um to not be trapped in that survival mode. So in other words, understanding what is real fear and what is perceived fears. So if the naysayers on social media can't show up to our doorstep and kill us, you know, keep going. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I I understand from some businesses, they could say, well, a public image, and we want to keep the uh, customer base happy. Therefore, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yet again, uh, maybe the conversation needs to be changed a little bit, especially when you are dealing with public narratives and who gets a voice and who can say what. Yeah, exactly. And we can look at Taylor Swift again as an example of this. You know, of course, there have been moments that she has um, looked at public opinion and and I don't think changed her values or changed who she is, but maybe learned and upgraded as a human. But also there have been moments where she just you know, shuts people down or comes out publicly and says like, you know, haters are going to hate or yeah. <laughs> whatever, it, whatever it is that, or I'm just going to um, shake it off. I'm just going to shake it off. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's really an attitude for success is being able to go out there and acknowledge that, Hey, this is triggering my fear. And my fear is that I'm an imposter, that I'm not good enough, or that I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, that I don't deserve to be here. 
that I don't deserve to be here. Exactly. And that fear is based on a whole bunch of societal and cultural things that have been around for quite a while, not actually based in current reality. So I can acknowledge that I have that fear. I can breathe through it. I can let it pass. Or if it's really stuck, I can seek out a professional that can help me recalibrate that, right? And I can move on. It doesn't actually mean anything is going to harm me in a significant way. Yeah. And it's also interesting, uh, this idea of, you know, and this is going back to scarcity, but again, I just want to name it for the power of naming things. You know, in the United States, there is yet to be a female president. I don't know if people were ready for Hillary or Elizabeth Warren. I don't know what might happen with with Camilla Harris, for instance. And I know there's listeners that um, obviously are not in the United States, and I want to be careful not to be, you know, ethnocentric as Americans are sometimes known. Uh, But I do want to bring up that um, there's this idea of, well, whoever is the first president, you know, you know, it's who, who gets the right to be there and what profile does she fit? And, and does it fit, you know, my idea or your idea of who deserves to be there or who deserves to have success? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's again, that huge pressure for perfection that's there, that, that just isn't there for our male presidents and male leaders globally or they're, they can be human, they can make mistakes, they can have emotion, right? When, when a male in a power position expresses or shows emotion or anger, they're more likely to be seen as um, passionate, <laughs> as, you know, <laughs> as really um, caring about what they say, whereas a woman expressing emotion is more likely to be seen as unhinged or sometimes even cute or just downplayed in yeah. one way or another. Yeah, I, I want to speak on that for a moment. I remember when I was um, 20 years old and I was given some messages from a, a wonderful woman who was a mentor to me. And um, she had said, uh, you know, Oprah's success comes from uh, the fact that she is very good at not ever being called crazy because you have to, as a woman, you have to be careful that you're never called crazy. And I thought, wow. And so there's almost this like expectation and maybe it's like going back to what you had said in the beginning of this podcast, women are expected to be like this smooth, like all put together, no loose threads, even energetically with their words or feelings that, that F word feelings. Yeah. 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 And, and to, to really seem like the epitome of male. When it right. comes to, you know, wearing the pantsuits and, um, you know, the, the sleeked back hair while also being attractive, you can't go around as a, as a powerful woman, not wearing makeup and not, you know, getting your, your hair done and all of that stuff. It's, it's this really interesting mix where you have to be physically appealing while being emotionally male. Yeah. I, you know, I can't wait for the day when a, a woman wearing a big poofy pink dress runs for president. That's what I want to see. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I was just thinking about uh, that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that there was one fashion designer that let herself do that, but all the rest of them. Yeah. Didn't do that. I can't think of her, her name right now, but yeah. Yeah. I think that that's very well said because um, it even shows up in some like uh, pop songs, rap songs, hip hop lyrics and so forth. It's like, she's expected to think like a man. Because thinking like a woman is weak. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Except, except intuition is feminine. And we all know that intuition 
is very valuable, even if we cannot measure it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's extremely valuable. And, and, you know, also on that note, I, I think that it will be all very powerful when women can be equal enough to men okay. that men can also display their feminine sides, their intuition, their softness, their, you know, if, if I want a male president to go for office in a pink poofy dress too, like, and, <laughs> and not be called all of those names that would then refer him to being feminine and then lesser than. Yeah. W E A K. Right. Yeah, yeah, weak. Exactly. W e a k. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Then he would get labeled as that compared to yeah. that he's in touch with his feminine side, or that he's willing to develop the feminine side, so as not to just come across as a gruff caveman, you know, enraged. Right. Or, or even yeah. that there's really just not that huge of a difference between masculine and feminine. We've we've created this idea in our culture that they're just total polar opposites. When in reality, that men have feelings, men have intuition they're just taught to disconnect from it so you know and disconnect you know my son's favorite color was pink until first grade when a girl made fun of him and he loved wearing dresses and jumping on the trampoline and spinning in circles because who wouldn't love that and then our society just beats it out of them so if you know when people can just go out there and be 100% authentically themselves and not worry about is this too feminine is this too masculine then we can really, you know, just be at our best and not, you know, not have that taking up space in our brain at all. Yeah. It's interesting. I I know you, you mentioned before that uh, humans like to conserve calories. And so um, I just find it interesting when people try and put others into boxes or labels. Yeah. (laughs) I I still know Penn state alumni that say, Angelina, we can't figure you out. Are you like this? Are you like that? And I'm like, what if I'm all of the above? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What if humans are fluid in a lot of ways and it's okay. (laughs) Okay. So we've touched upon some of the, the, the problems and the landscape and and the history and being burned at the stake. And, and I won't even, you know, bring up the Vatican. So um, now let's talk about remedies. So how can women, and let's start as individuals before women as a collective begin to rise above this and evolving their own mindset and then external social narratives and messages about what's acceptable. Yeah. You know, first acknowledging, acknowledging is always the the first piece in noticing how you feel, what you're feeling, what you're being triggered by into that fear state and into that, um, you know, scarcity state that's causing that um, kind of internal female warring. Right. And then acknowledging that it is a feeling and shifting out of that. And there are a couple different ways to do that. Some of them mindset and some of them deeper. So one thing that I do as a, um, as a coach, as you know, with a clinical background is rapid mind body recalibration, where we go in and we release those things that have happened throughout history that, you know, throughout the body and the lower brain to really recalibrate the body to be in a different state and be able to move forward without those things holding, uh, holding us back. So there's, you know, there's that option available. Other options are being in touch with your body mm. and really giving yourself permission to notice what's happening with you. Uh, so often as women, there's this thought of, you know, what does everybody else in the room need? What does this magazine say that I should be doing? What does this influencer say that I should be doing? Instead of what does my body say that I need right now? And how Mm. can I honor that? Yeah. Shifting the microphone over. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. So one, uh, one really simple technique is, is interceptive yoga, and it can be done really easily um, without even, without, you know, officially listening to anything or watching anything. But what you can do is you can notice how your body is feeling right now in this moment and think, is there anybody, any way that I want to stretch my body or adjust my body or move my body? And then when you do that, consider thinking about, you know, what did that feel like? Did I like that? Do I want more of a stretch? Just giving yourself permission to really notice and then tune into your body. And that actually starts to heal the insular cortex, which is that line of communication between our bodily needs and our brain. Oh, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Um, and I think that's uh, really good to reconnect with uh, one's bodies because again, it's uh, not making even that part of us invisible. So if the world might denigrate women into body parts, you know, with the fashion industry or modeling and so forth, or, you know, men when they get angry or other women for that matter, I think it's being able to give that honor back and the respect to those, uh, you know, to your body and to check in and, and yeah. to give a voice to that. Yeah. And to gear our salience network so that it's not so much concerned about what everybody's saying on social media or what, you know, all those messages that we're seeing on billboards or wherever it is that we're seeing and hearing these messages, but to tune in with ourselves and our truth and be yeah. and drive ourselves from that position. Yeah. So that's very proactive compared to being triggered and then mm -hmm. allowing the triggers to drive our life. Yes. Yeah. Um, something from history that I found out through my husband up in Canada, they, uh, in any individual that didn't follow the party line, uh, specifically the natives, they would call it um, beating the savageness out of those that didn't conform. That's their term, not mine. And so I find it really interesting, you know, when you talk about connecting to the body, you know, what um, might be there in the cellular memory. So how powerful it is now to just be able to start to ask those questions of, hey, body, what is it you want me to know? Yeah. 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 And it, it really can bring up so much of what we've, we've experienced with, with trauma. You know, the body keeps the score, even if we don't remember it or think about it or, you know, feel upset when we think about it. Our body is consistently reacting to what we've experienced our entire lives. So getting in touch with the body and allowing it to release and allowing it to move really helps us to connect and be so much more powerful than we are when we are disconnected. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is uh, to connect more with the body, to listen to it, and also to observe um, through good questions, powerful questions, what's happening in, in our internal landscape. Um, is there anything else when it comes to the nervous system? Because I know one of the things we've talked about is when the nervous system just hijacks everything and can shut the mind down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the nervous the nervous system is powerful. Anything that's closer to our spine is going to be typically more powerful and more uh, readily accessible than anything further away from our spine, which is you know that prefrontal cortex, that sense of who we are and our morals and all of that. It's a little bit further away. So really honing that autonomic nervous system. There's a couple techniques that are helpful for that. Ones that you can do at home are. Um, it can be as simple as making eye contact with okay. another person regularly, having good conversations, being in flow with somebody, um, being involved in things like martial arts can be really empowering and also help with the nervous system and also uh, breathing. So if you breathe out 
for longer than you breathe in, kind of like how we do when we're asleep. I'll give you a, a little example. So like that. Okay. Then you are, um, you're overhauling the, the autonomic nervous system a bit to make it more in that rest and digest state as opposed to the heightened heart rate or even the, um, the flight state or the um, frozen state. Yeah. Something as simple as that. So it's interesting. There's so many women I know that are professionally like accomplished. And I ask them, Hey, when are you going to start your legacy? And they, uh, it's like, I'm asking, Hey, when would you like to step up to that stake and get burned on it? (laughs) (laughs) Cause then it's like maybe tomorrow, maybe next month. And, and so I, I definitely hope that this, uh, speaks to them that maybe they realize that, uh, you know, that you know, like what you said, maybe it's just their nervous system or something that's in their body that's hijacking and they don't even realize it because they can do everything else. But you ask them to like increase their self-worth or honor themselves regarding, you know, what you would refer to as their passions or their, um, you know, their interests, their dreams, you know, I call it sometimes soul contracts. Uh, and yet, um, you know, it's not like they're, they're not quite there yet. And so, yeah. Yeah. And it really can be. Um, something that you wouldn't even identify as something holding you back. I've worked with women in in similar situations to what you're describing, where when it came down to it, there was a lack of trust in the self because of, um, with one woman, it was, you know, way back in kindergarten, her teacher was upset with her often for not coloring within the lines and not getting her assignments in on time. And she had, she didn't really have a conscious memory of that. Um, with another woman, it was, you know, she had a family where they, they were very protective, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Um, make sure that you're safe. Don't run too fast. You know, just protect yourself, protect yourself. And, and that could be, um, you can really hold you back later in life in ways that you're not even consciously thinking. You're thinking more like, oh, well, I'm just, I'm spinning in circles or like, I know I want it, but maybe it's not for me that there's these, these things deep down that just tug us back and say, wait, wait, that's not safe. Let's protect ourselves. Yeah. So don't run out into the street ends mm-hmm. up equaling don't create a legacy. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really interesting how it ends up working and, and we thinking about it and trying to change that mindset really isn't impactful. Um, it's when things happen early on in our lives, that prefrontal cortex, where we think about things and talk about things, it, it can't impact those things that happened earlier in life. So it really does require digging deep in there with deeper down brain techniques and body techniques and recalibrating from that space. And that, you know, is another interesting, you know, method that I like to use is psychedelic assistance, which is, you know, back to what you were saying with the Native Americans, um, psychedelics have been used throughout time, you know, all the time by shamanic communities. And a lot of it was illegalized or the, the process towards illegalization started when the settlers, the colonizers and you know Catholics started taking over Native American lands and viewed that connection to earth and the divine and the personal spirit to be more demonic. So it's been really uh, given a bad name, but it is a, you know, a beautiful facilitator to being able to open up the mind to different possibilities and move past that fear and really step into success. So combining those 
lower region of the brain recalibration and the body recalibration with the facilitation of psychedelics, the, you know, the, the results that I've seen from my clients have been absolutely incredible and in being able to just get out there and live their legacies. Yeah. So it sounds like it's almost like if she is no longer fragmented. Yeah. And scattered and you pull it back together, then those new connections then can move her forward in what she would like to create compared to staying scattered and not knowing the why, you know, deep down about it. Exactly. As we, we think about self-sabotage and we think that we're doing something wrong because we're sabotaging ourselves in one way or another. When in reality, most often self-sabotage is a different part of ourselves, typically from the past, trying to get her needs met. So, you know, little, little five-year-old who's being yelled at to not go into the street, to not run too fast, all of that stuff might be sabotaging current, you know, 30, 35-year-old by holding her back, 45-year-old, 50-year-old, whatever, doesn't matter the age, that holding her back from, from doing her legacy from going out there, from being her absolute best, most audacious self, because she is worried about her little five-year-old safety. Yeah. But that's not even on that 40-year-old radar at all. Correct. If you were to have a megaphone, what message would you give to women? If you could, I, if you could get it down to one sentence. Yeah. Oh, that you, that you're worthy and that the world needs you. The world needs you to have a legacy you know, get through that fear, find a way to recalibrate that fear and go out and get your legacy on. Wonderful. Um, so we've talked about how a woman can individually, um, you know, within herself empower and rise above um, maybe the existing mindset and the stories that she can tell herself. How can she as a member of a community then enable more positive beliefs and messages uh, to encourage an upward spiral with other women. Acceptance of feminine in general is an important piece. Okay. Not using any of those words that we talked about with that, that compares something feminine or a female body part to something lesser than, and that's whether you're talking to a male or a female to not discourage males from having feminine qualities. And to, to really see the world in the reality that it is what we create for it. It's not this numbers game. It's not this scarcity game. It's, it is, you know, if we bring ourselves up, if we bring other women up, then there's only improvements to be made. The more people that are part of the conversation, the more improvements and the more that we can accelerate our lives as, you know, as a global community. Wonderful. Um, is there anything else? Um... Yeah, I mean, so, and I, I know that there are men listening, <laughs> and I want to emphasize that that I don't mean anything that I say to be negative towards men either, and that, you know, men have amazing qualities and are wonderful people. So many men that I know are wonderful people and have been through a lot of similar, you know, traumas and been put in similar boxes in ways that women have as well. So also, you know, for men getting in touch with that and allowing yourself to acknowledge that having emotion does not mean that you're feminine. And even if it does mean that you're feminine, it doesn't mean anything bad at all. And there's a lot of elevation that can happen 
within males and within our communities if you know when men are able to acknowledge you know that and relax and acknowledge that they can be out of the box and that it can be okay yeah i think one of the 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 one of the most valuable things that is very simple but always needs to be repeated is if we can leave that scarcity mindset and then it it won't be like <sighs> Like there only one opinion can exist or only one legacy can exist or, or, um, you know, this idea that, you know, this world, you know, will do great. It's not going to fall apart if more women pursue their legacies. And, and I do see the numbers that for instance, on social media, it's about 80% men that, uh, you know, follow my, my channels and, and watch the videos. And, and again, I don't know if that's because men are expected to provide and protect and, and again, they're going to be the ones with the Tonka truck and the Legos, but I would also definitely like to, you know, visibly and auditorily uh, encourage women to also uh, get out there. And maybe it's not going to look the same as, as maybe how a male would do it and so forth, but it's still just equally valuable just to add to what you said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And go out and make mistakes and people will, you know, potentially attack you or mock you or, you know, and that's, it sucks and it's okay. (laughs) Okay. For that to happen, you can get up, you can brush yourself off and you can keep moving forward. Wonderful. We can shake it off. (laughs) Shake it off. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Okay. So um, thank you, Andrea, very much for your insights. I'm going to close this out. And um, again, I just appreciate your expertise that you brought to the subject. Um, I definitely would like, you know, more women to answer that question of what would they like their legacy to be, uh, regardless of the generation. And um, so I appreciate uh, your courage to speak on this today. And um, yeah. And also just being vulnerable, you know, as a single mother and, you know, who you are as a person in addition to who you are as a professional. Thank you, Angelina. It was really good being here today. Wonderful. Always okay. enjoy talking to you. Thank you. Okay. So this, all right, closing out. <laughs> I'm Angelina Carlton, the hostess of the Design Your Legacy podcast, as well as the founder to Legacy Planning, a boutique coaching and advisory firm based out of Beverly Hills, California, but international in those I coach. I hope to dive deep into subjects that can help a person define, develop, and execute their legacy and continue to scour the landscape for those who can be great resources to every dimension of your legacy. For many listeners, there can never be enough education and preparation for the moot around your castle, the moat. Okay. Uh, Whether you find yourself with new wealth or generational wealth, may the content of this channel be an anchor in any storms ahead. We do our best to provide original content for your intellectual and emotional curiosity. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, I coach people on the subject of personal legacies. Of course, please do your own due diligence as some areas are black and white while others are gray in nature in the changing landscape. And again, I hope you find these podcast interviews entertaining in their education. Thank you for joining us today.